Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Who are you? Let me just ask you that again. Who are you? Here's the 
diamond of it all. Knowing how you actually want to feel is the most potent form of clarity that you can have. And generating those feelings is the most powerfully creative thing that you can do with your life. It is your birthright to have your desires fulfilled. Every desire is a prayer. Desire is the underpinning of manifestation. out of the roof 
And don't go telling me you're going to go buy stocks in pharmaceutical companies. No, it's just not right. It's got to be something that we are learning here, especially those that are in positions of power and financial stability. Please, I appeal to you, think about the long term. Think about the human heart, the human conscience. Think about the fact that you have enough. Let's find a way to leverage this out so we can not only give people what they physically need, but, this is a big but, we need to find a way to spiritually serve our citizens. And this is for every country. We need a way to spiritually serve our people and bring some sort of an inner order to the external chaos. You know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we are experiencing unprecedented grief and anxiety on a global scale. Many people are having to endure this experience physically isolated from the very people who would, under normal circumstances, be there for them. Grief therapist Claire Bidwell-Smith is joining us today to offer some helpful tools and practices to help us through these unique times. Claire is a licensed therapist specializing in grief and the author of two previous books of nonfiction. They were The Rules of Inheritance and After This. But her new book is entitled Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. Claire has written for many publications, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, The Guardian, Psychology Today, Yoga Journal, and much more. She has a therapy practice in Los Angeles, whilst also working with clients around the globe. Today we welcome Claire Bidwell. Welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Me too. I think what you're offering is really important because people really need steps right now. I can't speak for everybody in the world, but I'm pretty sure if souls haven't been really taking care of their interior world, there is a sense of loss and there's a sense of confusion that must be swirling around in their consciousness. So your tools and your tips, I'm sure, are going to be very useful to many. Absolutely. It's such an interesting time in the world. And I think regardless of who we are, we're all grieving a little bit right now. You know, I think we're grieving for the way that we thought life was going along. We're grieving for people who are dying. We're grieving for administrations and structures and things that are falling apart. I think there's something really beautiful about it, though. Often when people are grieving, say, the loss of a loved one, they feel quite alone in their grief. The whole world can kind of feel like it's going on around them, and they are coming to a standstill. And right now, our whole world has come to a standstill. So there's something unique and remarkable about that. Indeed. It's a global pause, isn't it? What we needed. Tell us a little bit about your journey as a therapist. What actually inspired you to specialize in the area of grief? Well, when I was 14, both of my parents got cancer at the same time. I'm an only child. My mom died when I was 18, and my father died when I was 25. So I kind of came of age in a lot of grief and loss and illness and learned a lot about mortality before most of my peers were kind of having any kind of realizations about it at a time when they were all post-college, getting their first jobs, new relationships, houses. I was really kind of in the throes of grief and trying to understand what the purpose of being in the world was for myself. When I came through some of the harder times of that, I really wanted to go back and help others through it. I ended up getting my master's in clinical psychology, became a therapist. I worked in hospice initially and then in private practice. And all along the way, I've been a writer. So it was what saw me through kind of the grief and the angst 
of losing my parents, and then it's how I've made sense of the work I do now. Did you have anybody in those times to talk to, to find some solace or comfort? That's usually helpful. I had some great friends along the way, still do, and I had a therapist myself in my 20s, and one of the things that helped me more than anything was meditation. That's definitely a lifesaver, and I've been very moved by how much there's been lots of meditation and prayer groups online now for individuals Mm -hmm. to help them with their anxiety. There was a recent article that was posted in The Atlantic, and you said, I think there will be a massive collective mourning when we've emerged from this for us as a culture, but we will come back to this. Share with us your thoughts about this particular statement. Well, I think right now we're still a little bit in survival mode. So even though there are people dying, there are people losing loved ones, there are people grieving, I think we're still a little bit flailing around in some ways and there isn't very much space to grieve or people aren't so good at making space for grief. It's a combination. And also people are isolated right now. They're unable to say goodbye to loved ones in the hospital. People are grieving at home alone. We're not able to sit shiva or have wakes or funerals. I think that Because we're not doing some of those usual customs, we're not able to grieve the way that we're used to. But I do believe that grief doesn't really go anywhere. I think that grief is something that needs to kind of run its course. And if we have to come back to it as a culture collectively, then we can and will, you know? Right. And grief is something that the human soul has been through for so many lifetimes. We've often carried this experience emotionally that we've lost something, we've lost someone. We've even some ways lost ourselves in the midst of our busyness. So I wonder, do you think we're actually on the path to try to find ourselves during this pandemic? I do. I really believe that. I think that grief is really transformative. It really asks us to think about what's important to us. It asks us to take a hard look at ourselves. There's a lot of opportunity for transformation when we grieve and when we go through loss. And I think that that will be the case on an individual scale and on a global scale as well. I think we're going to come through this have had to take a really good look at who we are and how we want to be globally, culturally, and individually when we get out on the other side. And to wait against how we've been living prior to this because there's nothing like a pause that makes you reflect on look at your life to see, have you been living life fully? Have you been living it authentically as well? And it's not always comfortable to do that. So I think people will feel a lot of discomfort. They will feel fear. They will fear some anxiety. But I think that if we can really lean into those things rather than shy away from them, rather than react to them with anger or frustration or hate, if we can lean into some of that discomfort, we will be richly rewarded. I agree with that. Now, a lot of people are consumed by a lot of fear and anxiety as we deal with the consequences of this pandemic. What types of concerns are you hearing from your patients? I mean, how is this impacting them? I think what I'm seeing more than anything in my clients and in everyone in general is how difficult it can be to sit in uncertainty. And that's what we're doing right now. We're sitting in an enormous amount of uncertainty. Every day we wake up, we don't know when this will be over. We don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know how long it will last. We don't know how many more people we will lose or if we ourselves will get sick or be impacted in personal ways. And to wake up day after day and sit with that much uncertainty is really difficult for the majority of humans. And this is why I think meditation is so valuable. 
in a daily life general sense, but also right now in particular, because it's so hard to sit with that kind of uncertainty. We end up filling in the gaps, right? Our imaginations are pretty rich. And I think that we end up filling in the gaps with a lot of fear-based thoughts about how this is going to play out. We tend to catastrophize, to go into disaster scenarios. Why do we go there? Why do we go to the drama instead of like, well, let me just try to find a way, and I don't mean Pollyanna in a negative way, but let me try to take the high road. No, I think that we do it because we think that if we really think through these disaster scenarios, then we'll be prepared if they happen. And there's this fear that we have that if we aren't thinking through those things, we're not going to be prepared. But really the opposite is true. When we're constantly swimming in those catastrophic thoughts, then we're just keeping ourselves in an anxious state. We're creating more fear, more anxiety, more physical symptoms, more behavioral reactions. So I think the key to that, though, is having compassion. I came through my experiences of losing my parents to illness with a lot of fear and anxiety. I came through it with a lot of catastrophic thoughts. I would get a pain in my side, and I would immediately think that I, too, had cancer. And I had to really work hard to retrain my brain and to not feed into those thoughts anymore. But the thing that I needed to do more than anything in order to do that was to have compassion for myself. I think when we're beating ourselves up, we don't get anywhere. So whenever I would have those catastrophic thoughts, I would pause, I would recognize that I was having the thought, I would give myself some love and understanding for being in a place in life to have those thoughts, and then I would let them go. And I think we need to do that a lot as humans. We need to be easier on ourselves. What's happening to our level of compassion? Why is it that we're losing that energy more and more? What's the reason behind a loss of compassion for one's self and our collective humanity? I mean, it's all about fear. When we're afraid, we don't have any room to send love to others, to love ourselves. And right now, everyone's afraid. I think that in general, we've been lacking in compassion before the pandemic. Some of that is largely due to technology and the imbalance that we have between things like meditation and self-care practices and the massive amount of information we're downloading every day due to technology and kind of the separateness that we're creating. But I think right now there's just so much fear and that strips us of compassion when we're feeling afraid. It's like an animal, like a wounded animal, an animal in pain uh, might bite you. We're not that different. But what we need to do is work on our fear because there's still a lot here to be grateful for. There's a lot of room and space and need for compassion, for love, for support, for us to come together and be creative and support each other as we find a way out of this or a way through it. Right, a way through it. I like that one. You've said that there is little known yet critical connection between anxiety and grief. Could you explain a little bit more? When I first started writing about anxiety and grief, no one else was making that link. And I was having a lot of clients come to see me who had gone through a recent significant loss, and then they would have a panic attack or they would develop a certain current of anxiety running through their days that was unfamiliar to them. And they weren't linking it to the loss that they had gone through. And what I was seeing was that when people go through a big loss, it's, again, kind of similar to what's happening right now in our world. It's this big reminder of mortality, of the uncertainty that life has, that we can't always plan for anything. We don't know how long we have here, that we could have been living the wrong way for a while and we need to make changes. Those kinds of realizations that come with grief and loss can be overwhelming. If we're not 
practiced at all in things like meditation or sitting in discomfort, it can be really jarring to go through a big loss, Mm -hmm. and it causes an enormous amount of anxiety. I bet. So in your book, Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief, you explain why anxiety should be added to the five phases of grief. What are the five phases of grief that our listeners can learn more about? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. They were coined by a Swiss doctor named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 1960s, and she initially came up with those five stages to apply to people who were dying, not grieving, people who were facing a terminal diagnosis. And the five stages make a lot of sense in that context. She later moved them onto the stages of grief, and our culture kind of just ran wild with them. Today, it's the most popular way of thinking about grief is these five stages. But even Kubler-Ross herself said that she never meant for them to be this perfect formula. What I see is that grief can often be so overwhelming that we would love for there to be a perfect formula. People kind of yearn for there to be this perfect sequence of things they need to go through in order to stop feeling in so much pain. But really, the five stages are much more fluid and dynamic than that. And we come in and out of them. There are more stages than those five. They take much longer. Grief lasts longer than most people realize. And the truth is that we never really get over a loss. We never feel like it's okay to have lost somebody significant in our life. We do heal and we move forward and we can live meaningful lives again, but we never get over the loss of a loved one. What are some of the signs of holding on to grief and Is there a positive sign to holding on to grief? Is there something that's detrimental to holding on to grief? I think we can hold on to it in the wrong ways. I see Mm -hmm. some people get stuck in anxiety or hold on to guilt or anger after they lose someone. And if you peer under the lid of those things, like anger, for instance, there's usually just sadness there. This grief will manifest in anger at everyone around them, anger that the person died, anger at the people who didn't save the person, anger at themselves. And really, if you look underneath that, it's just sadness, pure sadness that the person is gone, that they loved. And that's a healthier way to sit with grief is to step into that sadness and to honor that person and to honor your own sadness. So sometimes when we hold on to those things like guilt or grief or anxiety, they're really covering up the truer emotions that we need to be feeling. Right. Because my mother, she lost her family when she was quite young, and I've seen how I would say it has damaged her perception of how to be in the world. And part of her function, and she does so much to help so many others thrive and be strong and profoundly powerful, and there's a part of her that just doesn't know what to do with what she's got left within that she wasn't able to address. What would you advise when in that particular position? I see this a lot. There's so many things that are left unresolved when we lose someone we love. And it's painful. We wish that we could have more time with them. We wish we could say goodbye in different ways or at all. We wish we could go back sometimes and do things differently. And once the person is gone, how do you reconcile that? And then the trauma that she went through after that with orphanages and abuse and rape and this and that. I mean, how does Mm -hmm. she even begin to be able to do the work within to just heal herself? That's a life's work of all kinds of things and a spiritual life's work, but also with a lot of help and therapy. But when we're trying to resolve that kind of guilt, anger, frustration after grief, I think that we have to 
find ways to connect with our loved ones, even though they're not here anymore. And whether that's a spiritual connection, whether it's developing an internal relationship with them, whether we're writing them letters, whether we're finding ways to honor them in the world and further the work that they did in this lifetime, I think all of those things can be really healing. That's beautiful. So dealing with grief on its own already can be isolating experience because a lot of times people feel they're alone in their suffering. What would you advise them to do? I think there's a lot more support out there than people realize. There Mm -hmm. are so many of us in the grief world right now. We're all coming together. We're meeting every week on Zoom meetings just to try to create more virtual platforms, more virtual support to try to meet the demand that's growing for grief support. People in the grief world are there because they really care. I've rarely or maybe never encountered someone in this space who isn't here for the right reasons. And we're thinking a lot about people out there who are going through this alone. A simple internet search should yield a lot of results for current support right now for grief. There's a lot of virtual platforms being created. There are therapists who can talk on the phone or via Skype. There are grief support groups that are now online. There's amazing books out there. There's healing meditations. There's yoga for grief. And I think people shouldn't be afraid to look for those things and turn towards them. Beautiful. So now, is there a relationship between technology and grief in the age of social distancing? I mean, I Mm -hmm. don't mind watching, for me, when I'm in a little bit of a rut, (laughs) I'll put on Ellen DeGeneres. It's something that's just me laugh. I just love to laugh. It's just an important form of medicine for me. But does technology play a role, and can it actually really help someone to overcome grief? I think human touch is always preferable. I think getting a hug, having people show up at your house and give you hugs, bring you food and all of those things. Grief support groups where you come together with a group of people who are also grieving, that's one of my most recommended ways to move through grief. One-on-one support with a therapist, all of those are the traditional ways, and we don't have them right now. So online, virtual, internet, Support is better than nothing. It really is. And there is a lot there. Hearing someone's voice, just like you and I are talking right now, I think is lovely. There's courses and chat groups and online support and just live discussions you can watch and participate in that will make you feel less alone right now. But I think this is also a beautiful time to be turning inward and to be exploring our inner life, our inner worlds, our inner resources Whether that means you're tapping into spirituality you've never explored or you're looking for it, there's beautiful online programs for that as well. Or whether you're just lighting a candle every night and just taking a moment to feel a sense of Mm -hmm. ritual, I think things like that are really important right now. So add some more tips that can help folks to navigate during this particular COVID crisis that can maybe help them to mitigate the anxiety. Well, again, I think meditation gets just really one of the number one ways to find peace and to calm our nervous system, to calm our monkey brain. So whether you have a meditation practice or you're new to it and you just want to start listening somewhere like here, you have a beautiful program. There's so many things online for meditation. Those are great. Reaching out to people for support. Also being of service, thinking of ways that you can be of service. People don't often think of that as a way of healing or as a way of calming themselves. And it's really a very calming thing to help others. It can take you out of your anxious brain and make you feel valuable, like you're contributing something to the world. And whether that's donating something or dropping off groceries somewhere or 
making masks, whatever it is that you feel you could contribute will give you a sense of peace and feel meaningful. Yes. I've been hearing that a lot about the importance of service as a means of really snapping you out of that particular place that we might be stuck in. You know, parents are going through a lot with the kids at home now. Any tips that you can offer them to cope with what if they've lost a relative or heard of a friend that has basically lost someone very close to them? What can we offer for them to get some more resilience? I'm laughing because I have three kids in the house. It's been a really interesting time to be homeschooling. I've got a baby and I've got two elementary school kids and I'm working and my husband's working and the kids are on school. It's crazy. Bless you. I think one of the main things in terms of navigating this time is, again, not to be hard on ourselves. Like, there is no precedent for this. There's no blueprint. We do not have to be perfect at this. We have to be good enough. We have to get through our days. And just kind of having that kind of patience with ourselves will help us have patience with our kids. When we feel like we have to have some perfect experience of getting them through school and getting our own work done and baking a loaf of homemade bread, we're just going to get angry at everybody. So I think being patient about that. In terms of talking to our kids, they're feeling this, even the young ones, even if they're not talking about it, they're definitely feeling the big shifts in the world. And they are resilient, but they also need to be able to talk about this. So even if you don't know the answers to some of their questions, allowing them space to talk about this. When they ask us big questions about life or death and mortality or illness, and we say, Let's not talk about that. That gives them the message that it's not okay to feel whatever they're feeling, that it's not okay to wonder about these things, that it's not okay to be scared or hopeful or whatever it is. So even if we don't know the answers, we need to let them talk about it, let them ruminate on things, and that will help them be more resilient. And I think it will help us as well. Beautiful. Good tips. All right. So people that are grappling with weddings, graduations, holidays, and vacations that they were planning on, what are your thoughts about the impact and anything they should do? I mean, I know people are Zooming their weddings, but, you know, (laughs) can you imagine, oh, I got married in 2020 and it was a Zoom marriage. I mean, talk about change. I have a girlfriend who just did that. She just went through that and their wedding was scheduled for the end of March and everything had been locked down by then. So, They did a simple ceremony with like a six-foot-away rabbi, and everyone else was on Zoom, and it's happening, and graduations are happening, and births are happening. The world is going on as is. I think we have to just kind of embrace what we have, what we can do, whatever Zoom things we can do, or however it looks now. I think we have to acknowledge the grief that comes with it not being what we thought it was going to be. We don't need to dwell in it necessarily, but I think we should acknowledge it and feel it a little bit, and then we should embrace whatever we can. You know, we can also have more celebrations and more things down the road. It doesn't have to be just this one Zoom wedding. Next year, have another gathering that you had been hoping to have with everyone all in person together. So I think we have to be creative. We have to lean into it, and we have to be supportive as we get through this. How are you managing? I know you've got all the kids at home, husbands at home. You've got your clients' stuff to do. How are you holding up personally? Good question. I have really made a return to ritual and meditation in a way that I had kind of fallen off of. Before the pandemic, my life was kind of humming along in a good place. You know, meditation is a practice. Spirituality is a practice. 
And sometimes we can slip out of it just like an exercise routine. And when this pandemic hit, my anxiety definitely flared up. And I knew immediately where I had to turn, and that was inward, and to get quiet, and to listen, find some peace. So I've been doing that. It's not always easy with everybody in the house, but it's the thing that helps more than anything. Beautiful. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave with our wonderful listeners? Just that, you know, I know that this seems scary at times, but I really believe that this is going to be a really beautiful time of transformation for us. And that if we let it transform us, I think we will come out for the better on the other side, back on anything hard that's ever happened in my life and all the times I've been in pain. All of those things and times have made me into a better person. They've made me wiser, more compassionate, more open to the world. I hope that if we can all kind of see that and lean into this time, we will come out on the other side for the better. Claire Bidwell-Smith, thank you so much for your wisdom, love, and good luck with all the kids at home. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for the beautiful work you do. Thank you. All the best. Take care. Wonderful tips by Claire Bidwell-Smith. If you want more information, just go to her website, clairebidwellsmith.com. Really lovely, very clear. I mean, her name fits her clear, and her message was very clear. So listen, hold on, hang tight, it's all going to be okay, we'll unfold, we'll get through this. There'll be some rough patches, there'll be some good patches, but just hold tight. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. Don't forget to do your traffic control, which is to pause every hour and hour for 30 seconds or more for your own Om Shanti, inner peace and outer peace, and spread those loving energies all around. Take care and remember to join us for our spiritual vaccine every night at 6.30 to 7.30 EDT on the Meditation Museum YouTube or on Facebook Live. Take care, everyone. All the best. Here's Sanatan Kaur.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.